Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Last Enemy. The Last Enemy, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, as you'll learn today, death is a perplexing mystery. Uh, what I've discovered is many people fear what they do not know. So what are we doing? In order to take away that fear of death, which brings bondage, according to the Bible, you have to understand death. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson, The Last Enemy. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 26th verse. Let's go to Paul. Let's start with Paul, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. What did he say, brother? The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Brothers and sisters, Paul classified death as being an adversary or... An opponent. Did you see that? Could you read that one more time? First Corinthians 15 and 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Is death, brothers and sisters. So death is not the only enemy of a believer, but it is depicted as the last enemy. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson, The Last Enemy. Death, brothers and sisters. It is your enemy. It is your adversary. It is your opponent, brothers and sisters. And if it is an adversary, if it is an opponent, if it is an enemy, then it would behoove us to know that enemy, right? Brothers and sisters, to understand that enemy. We will do so today. Let's go to Proverbs, brethren, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. We're going to the Old Testament now, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Proverbs 4 and 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Brothers and sisters, examine the, the spelling uh, ending in P-A-L instead of P-L-E. We're, we're talking about principle. So when it's spelled P-A-L instead of P-L-E, that suggests what? Chief importance. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Spell principal, brother. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Nowhere in the Bible is any other virtue declared the, the principal thing, brothers and sisters. So it's clear that without wisdom, reason is unreasonable. Without wisdom, sanity is insanity. And then he said, what's the last part he said, brother? And with all thy getting, get understanding. Get what, brother? Understanding. Understanding is the power of discernment, brothers and sisters. It's the ability to grasp the matter and, and assess it correctly, right? See? So wisdom is how to apply Right? How to apply particular knowledge. It says, with all thy getting, get understanding. That means no matter what it takes, get understanding. Why? The Bible tells you that Satan rules by ignorance. 
brothers and sisters. It talks about how he blinds the minds. So any area of your ignorance, he will rule over you. Guaranteed, brothers and sisters. Study the kingdom of darkness. When we studied the kingdom of darkness, we understood, we learned rather, that he operates only by ignorance. Only by ignorance. So he will look to keep us ignorant, brothers and sisters. We will not allow that any longer. The Most High had put the Spirit on our people, the children of Israel, like in Ezekiel 37, to do what? To awaken, brothers and sisters. No longer the Valley of the Dry Bones were coming together through the Holy Spirit, utilizing this Bible. No longer will we allow our people to be enslaved to ignorance. We'll read that one more time, and then we'll go to Ecclesiastes. We went here, why? The first scripture we went to said what, brothers and sisters? It said that enemy was our, or excuse me, death was our last enemy. Now link that with this, right? Can you read that, brother? Verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. With all thy getting, get understanding. We are going to do that today. We're going to get understanding on death. Why? Because it's an enemy. Not only is it a enemy, it's the last enemy, brothers and sisters. Right? Let's go to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. We'll go to Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, the 7th verse. Let's see what Solomon has to say here. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now, brothers and sisters, King Solomon speaks of the loss of breath, of life in this particular matter. Can you look at that one? Can you read that one more time? Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. The flesh of man returns to the dust. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. The life within the flesh is the spirit of man that lives on, brothers and sisters. See? So it says the spirit shall return where, brother? Unto God who gave it. See? So the dust returns to the earth as it was the spirit that returns back to the God who gave it. So this death here that we're reading of, this death is the separation of what? Of the inward man from the outward man. So we're understanding death. We have to break down what death actually is. So death means more than one thing. This is the one that most people understand. This is the death that most people understand. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. All right. So we first needed to do what? Understand the definition of death, right? This is the most common understanding of death. Let's go to James quickly, brothers and sisters. Let's go to the New Testament now. We're going to use the full, the full Bible, brothers and sisters. The entire volume. James, the 26th chapter, excuse me, the second chapter, the 26th verse, right? We're, st we're still dealing with death. We're, we're looking to learn what death is. James 2 and 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Brothers and sisters, we will first deal with this passage contextually and then we'll assess it conceptually. Can you do? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 26. Listen to this closely, please. For as the body 
without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. You see that first part right there. The first part of that clause, brothers and sisters, was for the body without what, brother? The spirit is dead. Physical death is the condition of the breath or spirit being separated from the body, right? When separation takes place, the loss of life or death is the result. So we're seeing what? What are we seeing? We're seeing separation. Can you read that again, brother? 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So faith without works is dead. So the text implies that the Most High is just as interested in the body as he is in the spirit and the soul of man. Because he said without the without your faith without the works is also dead. So what you'll discover, brothers and sisters, is that death all throughout death. In each sense of the word, it means a separation of two things. That's what death means. It doesn't always mean death, you know, uh, a person's breath leaves its body. It doesn't always mean that, brothers and sisters. How do we know? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. When the body separated from the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead when, also. When faith is separate from works, it's dead. You see that, brothers and sisters? So he's showing you clearly that death is separation. Let's prove that. Let's go to let's go to Matthew, brother. Because we want we want to show that we want to use the Bible to show that death can mean more than one thing. And if you don't understand the hermeneutics of the Bible, right? Because what we do is we try to put a Western ideology, a Western spin on an Eastern book, okay? You can't put a Western American European ideology on a book from, you know, from people from Israel. Let's show you. Let's go to Matthew 8 and 19. We'll have Brother Corey read 19 through 22. Matthew 8 and 19. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master... I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Christ said unto him, What did he say, brother? The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Christ said unto him, What did he say? Follow me, and let the dead Bury their dead. Christ is making it clear that our allegiance to him must regulate every part of our lives. You see that, brothers and sisters? Anything you've been your life around is considered an idol. Christ is showing you this here, brothers and sisters. Your life should not bend around anything but God. It shouldn't bend around your job. It shouldn't bend around a relationship. It shouldn't bend around your kids. Everything should bend around God. That's why it's called bowing down, brothers and sisters. Anything you bow down to, anything you bend your life around, be careful, brothers and sisters, because the Most High would he'll view that as idolatry of the highest order. Let's read it one more time, brothers and sisters, because not only is Christ telling you your allegiance to him must come first, he's also showing you that there's more than one type of death, right? Uh, let's read 18 one more time. Matthew 8 and 18. Now when Christ saw a great multitude about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came 
and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This is how it is in the beginning. <laughs> when you first get that truth, you're like, I'll die for this. I'll die for this. I'll give up anything for this, right? You'll notice when you study Christ, Christ never wanted a person to have a, be under a false pretense, brothers and sisters. Never. So even when there was crowds of people, he always said, you're following me for the wrong reason. You're following me because you've seen me break bread. You saw me do miracles. So Christ never, he didn't care about numbers, brothers and sisters. See, in Christian church, that's all that matters is numbers, these big mega churches. Christ had 12. And one of those was, it was no good. So Christ never wanted people to, to try to follow him under a false pretense, brothers and sisters, right? Can you read 19 one more time, brother? 19. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Christ said unto him, What did he say, brother? The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Look at that. Following Christ forces us to give up selfish ambition. What are you willing to lose? He's telling you, listen, <laughs> you say you'll follow me, but I don't I don't even have a home of my own. I don't even have a home of my own, right? See? Continue. 21. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Christ said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Brothers and sisters, first thing we saw was what? You must be willing to lose something, right? He's showing you that if you want to follow me, it's a possibility you won't have a house. You'll have to live as a pilgrim. Those who follow our church know that that's where we're going, brothers and sisters. We're going to have to operate on the outside of the plantation called America. We're going to have to go wherever God tells us. If you think that you're going to settle down somewhere, you're not following the Bible. And you're also not doing his work because his work. He's going to send us all over the place to make disciples, brothers and sisters, just as he did in the Bible, right? But that's not the point I want to deal with. I want to deal with the point of verse 21. Verse 21. And another of the, his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I need to bury my father. Look at verse 22. But Christ said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Let the what, brother? Let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. See that? So Christ is showing you there's more than one death. See, brothers and sisters, and you have to be able to distinguish. You have to be able to delineate, brothers and sisters, what which is which. Let the dead bury the dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Now, some people may say, well, hold on, that's cold, Christ. Brother, Father just died. He's like, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have to drop everything. See, when his disciples first heard the truth, they, they dropped everything, brothers and sisters. They were fishermen and all that, had their own boats and all that. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And they won't respond to another. See? So you're going to have to give something up, brothers and sisters. You will have to give something up. Why? Because value is determined by sacrifice. What are you willing to give up? That's why he said the path into the kingdom is very narrow, right? And even for a rich person to get in is almost non-existent. 
It's like, you know, a camel trying to get through the, the eye of a needle. You're trying to get into my kingdom with your baggage. It's not going to work. You're trying to carry what you want to do, your ambitions, with, with my instructions. It's not going to happen. So you have to be willing, brothers and sisters. At some point, there's going to be a division. At some point, because this is how he orchestrates it, brothers and sisters. Because why? When you sacrifice, you're more willing to stick with something, right? That's how it was when, when you were to marry a sister, right? You would pay a bride price to the father or you would give the father a gift, right? Or, or something like that. Or, or work for the father, right? When you did that, when you gave up six years of your life, seven years of your life, right? You were pretty much going to stay with that woman because you sacrificed a lot for that woman, right? So when you don't sacrifice anything, it becomes easier to, to move around. Christ is saying, if you don't sacrifice for me, it becomes easy to walk away. So understand this, brothers and sisters. Understand these two things. Sacrifice, if you're going to follow Christ. And number two, let the dead bury the dead. Most importantly. There's more than one type of death here. What did 22 say, brother? Verse 22. But Christ said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Now let's prove that. Let's prove that that's speaking of spiritually dead and physically dead, brothers and sisters. Let's prove that. Let's go to Ephesians, brother. We'll stay in the New Testament. We're going to Ephesians, the second chapter. The first through the fifth verse. Please listen, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. There he is already. He said, you hath he made alive. Quickened means made alive. Who were what, brother? Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. What is, when was this? Verse 2, wherein the time passed, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, the text opens with a kaleidoscopic depiction of our former reality. What is our former reality, brother? Verse 2, wherein time passed, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See this? This is spiritually dead. Remember he said, who were, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Brothers and sisters, to trespass is to willingly cross the line, to willingly disobey. That's what trespass means, okay? He said, who were dead, right? Who in times past walked according to what, brother? According to the course of this world. So when you walk in accordance with this world, you are spiritually dead. According to the prince of the power of the air. When you walk in accordance with this world, you're walking in accordance with the, with Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That same spirit is in those who refuse to follow the Bible, who refuse to follow God. That can be your father, that can be your mother, that can be your wife, that can be your cousin, that can be your husband, okay? It's the same spirit, the spirit of disobedience, right? Verse 3, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. As ye were dead in your trespasses. See, what we're reading here is death. This is spiritual death right here, right? And this is the one actually that the Most High is most concerned. The other one, when you just, you know, you go into the ground and all that, that's fine. The one that's, <laughs> that's serious business is this one right here. What's verse 4 say, brother? Verse 4. But God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. When we were dead in sins. When we were dead in sins, right? He hath quickened us together with Christ. He made us alive with what, brother? With Christ. If you're not with Christ, you're not alive, brothers and sisters. And see, this is the point we try to bring up to other Israelites who think that you can do without Christ as long as you follow the law. Absolutely not. You're made alive. You're quickened together with Christ, right? That's the only way. <laughs> okay, ye were dead in sins. So we're already highlighting that there's more than one death. Christ said, let the dead bury the dead. What is he saying? He's saying those who walk according to the course of this world, those who walk in the lusts of their flesh are dead. They're walking dead people. See? They're walking, they're alive, but they're dead, spiritually, inside, they're dead. They're speaking, they're walking, they're talking, they're eating, but in the eyes of the Most High, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman walking. So what? We, the title of today's lesson, The Last Enemy. We found out, we discovered, according to the Bible, that the last enemy was death. First thing we have to do is do what? Understand what death is. First, we have to know what death is, and then we can learn how death works, brothers and sisters. Right? Let's go to 1 Timothy 5 and 6. 1 Timothy 5 and 6, brothers and sisters. First Timothy 5 verse 6. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. What did that say, brother? But she that lives in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Look at that. <laughs> this text implies that you can be dead and living simultaneously. See that? She may be alive physically, but her lifestyle confirms she's unregenerate. She's spiritually dead. Look at that, brothers and sisters. What did it say, brother? Verse 6. But she that liveth in pleasure... Is dead while she liveth. See that? So according to the author, a life lived for mere pleasure and ease is it's no life at all. Brothers and sisters, the hermeneutical implications of this passage allow us to emphasize the importance of contextual linguistics. This matters, brothers and sisters. Because if you think this is talking about you know physical death, then you you won't understand any of this. You will not understand any of this. Now, why did we bring this up? Why did we bring this up, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Hebrews 2 and 15. Let's go to Hebrews 2 and 15, because this is why. This is why, brothers and sisters, we're going to take the power from death. 
Hebrews 2 and 15 says what, brother? Hebrews 2 and 15. And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Read that again, brother. And delivered them who through fear of death. Fear of what, brother? Of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see that? The shackles are coming off today, brothers and sisters. See, through the fear of death. You're subject to bondage, brothers and sisters. So in order to take away that fear, you must first know what death is. And then you have to understand how it works, brothers and sisters. See, so no longer are we going to allow, because why, brothers and sisters? How, how is this going on right now? This is the perfect time and people are getting shot up with God knows what for what? Because they're scared to die. See? So now you'll let a brother stick a Q-tip up to your brain, through your nose. You'll let them shoot, shoot themselves up with some serum that hasn't, been, that hasn't been studied for but six months. Why? Fear of death. Fear of death. Sisters understand this because why? Sisters, are, they go to the doctor every few months just for checkups. Why? See, they know that sisters really deal with this. Why? In Genesis, the sec in the second and third chapter, they had the spirit of worry. So they go to the doctor all the time. Did you get your pap smeared? Did you get this? Did you, did you got this? You got a lump on your breast and all this stuff. See? <laughs> so the sisters will be doing all this stuff. I, a sister will cut her chest off. Cut her whole chest off out of fear of death. Right? Mothers are vaccinating their children out of the fear of death. See? I don't want my baby to die. I'm shoot them up. Shoot them up. Five, six, seven shots at a time. See? So we have to pull the cover off this, brothers and sisters. The way that we can overcome this is to pull it into the light. We're going to pull death into the light so we can understand it, brothers and sisters. First Timothy said, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead. While she liveth. So we first. So now we understand that a person can be dead and living. Right? Now. Now that we're there. Let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis the second chapter. We'll have brother Corey read the 16th and the 17th verse. Genesis 2 and 16. But the Lord God commanded the man. Saying. Of every tree of the garden. Thou mayest freely eat. What did it say? Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Thou may freely eat, right? So God graciously gave man virtually unlimited dietary permission, right? There was one restriction placed upon man that he had to that had to do with his diet, right? This is the only one. What was it? But of the verse seventeen. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now let's not even go that far. <laughs> let's stay right here. The first law was what? A dietary law. See that? Which law do we fall to most? The dietary law. That's the one we fall to, brothers and sisters. We really, everyone knows stealing is wrong, killing is wrong. But the other ones, the dietary one is the one you fall to about four or five times a day. 
You wake up, eat a sausage, right, for breakfast. And then you have a ham sandwich. And then you have a pork chops uh, dinner, probably. Or uh, crab and bacon and all this stuff for dinner. So by the end of the day, you'd send about seven or eight times. Seven or eight times you've already sent. See? So Satan knew this. <laughs> the very first sin was a dietary sin. <laughs> you see this, brothers and sisters? You see this? Read 16 one more time, brother, please. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Please note that this command contains an inherent judgment, brothers and sisters. Did you catch it? Can, can you read 17 one more time, brother? Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Death is the prescribed consequence for disobeying this principle, brothers and sisters. The day that you violate the law, you create a new law. Let's see. Read 17 one more time. He said if you violate this law, it automatically creates a new law, right? Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Old law. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. New law. You see that, brothers and sisters? The disobedience of man was the creation of a new law. See? A new law is created by the breaking of an old law. Let's deal with that point first. Because outside of the Bible, that works, right? The law for a fish is what? Stay in water. Now, if you break that law, there's another law created that says you will die. You see that, brothers and sisters? See, I don't have to kill a fish. As long as if I take it out of water, it'll kill itself. There's a law called gravity, right? As long as I respect gravity, I'm good. But if I walk off a building, I walk off a roof, right? It creates another law. <laughs> See, this is how it works, brothers and sisters. This is how law works. The most high established principles, laws, right? And if you break those laws, he doesn't have to judge you. The most high don't need to judge you. You judge yourself because you breaking that law creates a new law, right? Let's say there's a law. Let's say I have a garden. What's the law of seed, brothers and sisters? The law of seed is put it in the ground, water it, right? That's the law. That's the law of seed. There's a if I pull that seed out of, if I pull that plant out of the soil, what happens? I don't need to kill it. It dies on its own because it creates a new law. This is how it works, brothers and sisters. And this is why you reap what you sow. It's not as if God has to judge us, brothers and sisters. When you break the law, it creates a new law. That's how it works, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Genesis 5, brother. Genesis 5 and 5. I think we're getting it. I think we're understanding it because, actually, let us read that one more time. Let's read Genesis 2 and 17 one more time. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, 
Thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Now, did God die? Did God lie here, brothers and sisters? Let's see. Let's go to Genesis five and five because I had a brother, uh, um, atheist, bring this to me and said, "Well, listen, this God is lying already in the first five chapters of the Bible." I'm like, "Really? Is he? Okay. Let's see. Let's go." To, and this is where he took me. He took me to Genesis five and five, right? Genesis five and five. In all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So, in the same day in which he eat, Genesis 2 and 17 said, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, for in the very day that thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Right? But according to Genesis 5, he lived 930 years, brothers and sisters. Right? Let's see. Did the Most High change his mind? Hmm. Let's go to Numbers, brothers and sisters. We'll have Brother Corey read Numbers 23 and 19. Take a look at this, please. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and he shall not make it good? The Most High never, ever changes his mind, and therefore never, ever recants his promise, brothers and sisters. Listen to what is said again. Listen to this closely. 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and it shall not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, that's the part right there. God is sovereign until he speaks. <laughs> See that, brothers and sisters? What did it say? Had he, had he said, and it shall, shall he not do it. That's the key right there, right? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? He's sovereign until he says something, brothers and sisters. Because once he says something, he has to do it. See? So the most I can do what he wants to do, but if he says, if you break this law, I have to kill you, he has to kill you, brothers and sisters. See, so he's sovereign until he speaks. So a lot of times we get confused. We think God's ignoring us. No, he's not ignoring you. He doesn't speak much because when a king speaks, it becomes law. You see that? Go read, go study kings in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Go look at the kings, even from the other nations. And how they were bound to their word. Look at Daniel. Remember Daniel? The brother didn't even want to kill Daniel. But had to. Because he could not break his word. Right? Remember um, King Xerxes in the book of Esther? Where he, he made decrees. That people, the Jews would be killed. Then come to find out his wife is a Jew. He could not change it. See? So we need to, we need to study a monarchy. We need to study a theocracy, brothers and sisters. God is sovereign until he speaks. A monarch or a king, when he speaks, every word becomes law or principle. Let's read that one more time, brother. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So, we know he didn't change his mind. 
He can't change his mind, brothers and sisters. Okay, if he didn't change his mind, then what's going on here? What's going on from Genesis, the second chapter, the 17th verse, in Genesis, the fifth chapter, in the fifth verse? Let's find out in Isaiah 59 and 2. Please follow us, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Last Enemy. The Last Enemy. Isaiah 59, verse 2. What's that say, brother? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he would not hear. Brothers and sisters, we are reading one of the most staggering penalties for disobedience. According to the text, noncompliance has the power to sever our relationship with the Most High God. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Now, remember, we already proved that death is separation. Death means separation all throughout the Bible, right? And what does that say, brother? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. That he will not hear. Separation from God is the result of lacking self-government. You see that? God cannot be around or amongst the person who can't govern themselves, right? Self-government, self-discipline. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is a universal truth applying to all men. Sin separates us from God. See? Go to Colossians, brother, please. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. We have a lot of scriptures today because it's According to Hebrews 2 and 15, that our people are in bondage. Most people are in bondage because they fear death. We're going to use the Bible to take away that fear today. Colossians 2 and 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. There it is again. See that, brothers and sisters? We just read Isaiah 59 and 2 said your iniquity separated between you and your God. We already discovered. We discussed that being dead or dead or death means separation of two things. See? So link Isaiah 59 and 2, which says your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Link that with Colossians 2 and 13. Can you read that, brother, again? Colossians 2 and 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had thee quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here Paul notes the, the spiritual condition of all believers before Christ. And what is that, brother? And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had thee quickened together with him, Having forgiven you all trespasses. Paul describes two glorious elements in our salvation. Being made spiritually alive and having our sins forgiven. You see that, brothers and sisters? You're dead in your sins. Why? Because your sins had to separate you from God, according to Isaiah 59 and 2. And then he said he had made you alive together. How did he make us alive? Can you read that, brother? Verse 13. And you... Being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. He made you alive. Having forgiven you all trespasses. How? 
forgiving you all trespasses. So you are dead until your trespasses are forgiven, according to the Bible, brothers and sisters. Okay, so now we, I think we're getting it. I think we're understanding death a little bit now. I think we're understanding that there's it, death is multifaceted, brothers and sisters. It would be, it would be, it wouldn't be, it would be illegitimate, rather, brothers and sisters, for you to think death is a funeral. It's it's much greater than that, brothers and sisters. It's much greater than that. According to the Bible, you can be dead while you walk, and that is the one that the Most High is most concerned with. Okay. So we need to figure that part out. Let's go to Psalms 5 and 4, brother, please. Because it says, being dead in your sins, right? That he, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, that he made us alive by forgiving us of our trespasses. Now, let's go to Psalms 5 and 4. Because right now we're dealing with spiritual death. We're dealing with spiritual death right now. And we're just proving to you that that's really a thing. That's really a thing. Let's go to Psalms 5 and 4. Further proof. Psalms 5 verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. Neither what brother? Neither shall evil dwell with thee. He's highlighting what an extraordinary privilege his presence is. Brothers and sisters. Can you read that again brother? Verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, mm. neither shall evil dwell with thee. Such a person he will not indulge. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. Now, brothers and sisters, death is what? Death means separation of two things, right? Neither shall evil dwell with thee. So his presence requires respect and self-governing. Brothers and sisters, the person who refuses to regulate his own conduct is unfit for fellowship, according to the psalmist. Brothers and sisters, now we're going to do what? We're going to go into the symptoms now, right? Let's go into the symptoms. We just came from Psalms, the fifth chapter, the fourth verse, right? Where it talked about, neither shall evil dwell with thee, with the most high. So he's telling you. Spiritual death is going to come if you continue to sin because he's so righteous that he can't be amongst that. He can't be around sin, right? Let's go to 1 John 1 and 6. 1 John 1 and 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. See, brothers and sisters, spiritual death is... Here, distinguished by spiritual darkness. Did you did you catch that? Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. If we say we have fellowship. And walk in darkness. And do what? And walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. And do not the truth. See, the truth is something you do, brothers and sisters. It's not something you say. <laughs> okay? According to the author, relationship with God in darkness cannot exist you see to have communion with him who is light and be continually exhibiting life of darkness is impossible if we say we have fellowship with him if we say we have relationship or communion intimacy with him but we walk in darkness you're a liar 
You're not in the truth. You don't do the truth. You don't do the work. You don't do the light. You see that, brothers and sisters? So what are we doing? We're showing you spiritual death. See, this is what Adam was dealing with. This is what Adam was dealing with. When he said, in that same day you shall surely die, this was the death right here. Physical death came later on, but spiritual death came immediately. Spiritual death came immediately. So the Most High did not lie. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't change his mind. You just don't know what death is. See? So anytime you come to a scripture and it appears that the Most High may have lied, right? Then you need to know your mind is playing tricks on you. There's no way <laughs> that the Most High, or there's any contradictions in the entire Bible. If anything, you're just not understanding it right. See, that's where your mind have to go. Your mind can't go to this is a contradiction. Your mind have to go into, I must not understand it properly. I must not understand it properly. Let's go to John 3 and 20. Not 1 John, but John and the Gospel. John, the third chapter, the 20th verse. We'll read 20 and 21. John 3 and 20. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. The text teaches that those who commit sin would prefer that their sin stay hidden and not be exposed. Did you see that, brothers and sisters? Can you read that one more time? For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. Most people prefer darkness where there'll be no exposure of their sin. You see, brothers and sisters, according to the author, evil can endure for a season in seclusion, but eventually it'll be reproved. How do we know? Read verse 21, please, brother. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth comes to the light. There it is again. He that doeth the truth. <laughs> see? The truth is something you do. It's not something you say. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 21. But he that doeth the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This verse is a contrast to those who live in the domain of darkness. Coming to the light is the core issue, brothers and sisters, because it determines where we will spend eternity. What happens? Can you let's read both of those because examine the contrast of someone who's spiritually dead and someone who's spiritually alive. John 3 and 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. See, this is spiritual death, someone who, who hates the light, right? Neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. So you don't want to come to the light because you believe that your deeds will be exposed, right? Verse 21. But he that doeth truth comes to the light. And a person doing the right thing, they come to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest, that they are right in God. See? So there's only two responses that can follow such exposure, brothers and sisters. Christ knew that people do not want to face the fact of sin, even if it meant their own self-destruction. He knew this, brothers and sisters. You'll just stay in the dark, rather just stay away. Let me stay away. Let me stay off, right? Because I know I'm doing wrong. I don't want it to come out. Naturally, brothers and sisters, naturally, 
We just saw spiritual death in verse 20 and spiritual life in verse 21. He said when you do the right thing, when you do truth, you have no problem with life. You're not trying to hide anything. Why? You want your deeds to be <laughs> brought into the light because you're doing what's good. See that, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Job 24, brother. Let's, let's deal with this light. Let's deal with this darkness. Let's deal with both. Job, the 24th chapter, the 13th through the 17th verse. Let's deal with this darkness or this light. Job 24 and 13. They are of those that rebel against the light. They do what? They rebel against the light. Rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the path thereof. Job describes the kind of sin that happens under the cover of darkness. Take a listen. 13. They are those that rebel against the light. Rebelliousness. They, they rebel against the light. They know not the ways thereof, nor abide in the path thereof. How do they rebel against the light? Verse 14. The murderer rising with the light. Kills the poor and needy. And then the night is a thief. Look at this, brothers and sisters. The text identifies the gross wickedness of evil men as generally being perpetrated at night. Can you read that one more time? 14. The murderer, rising with the light, killeth the poor and needy. And then the night is as a thief. The eye also of the adulterer waiteth for the twilight, saying, no eye shall see me, and disguises his face. The brother or sister that's a fornicator, adulterer, they wait for the darkness. They do this at night, right? When they can't be seen, right? Verse 16. In the dark, they dig through houses, which they have marked for themselves in the daytime. They know not the light. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Such men, they sleep in the daytime and operate their nefarious business at night. Look at this, brothers and sisters. It says that an adulterer waiteth to the night to be an adulterer. That during the day, a thief does what? He marks out the house and goes back at night. Look at this, brothers and sisters. This What do they call this? A uh, robbery. They call this, you know, B&E. Where I'm from, breaking in or home, home invasion. See this? This get done in the dark, right? What's verse 17 saying, brother? For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. Read that again, brother, please. For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. Mm. If one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. These are the men who plunder secretly, who rob, yet cannot bear to be known as thieves. See, this means that they dread the morning as death. <laughs> you see that? What is 17 saying, brother? For the morning is to them even as the shadow of death. The morning, the daylight, the light. They would rather die than and to if, be exposed by the light. Like, yeah. And if one know them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. Mm, see that? You ever had that, brothers and sisters? You ever had that where somebody, you know, <laughs> somebody doing all types of evil. But they don't, their, their biggest fear is that somebody know them for the evil they're actually doing. See? So the text shows us that criminal activity is usually executed at night or in the lack of light. 
crimes are easily disguised under darkness. Remember, the scripture we just went to, which was John 3, said what? He who doeth evil hateth the light. And Job just highlighted a lot of the business that goes on in the darkness, right? Remember, he said that he, the Most High is light. And in order to have fellowship with him, you can't do evil. So if you're doing evil, you're spiritually dead. You're dead in your trespass, according to the Bible. Right? Let's go to Hebrews. No, actually, let's go to Psalms first. Let's go to Psalms 105. And then we'll go to Hebrews. Follow us to Psalms 105 and 39. Take a look, brothers and sisters. Psalms 105 and 39. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. The psalmist here provides us with the hermeneutical application of for fire in the Old Testament. Let's read that again. Verse 39. He spread a cloud for covering. Now, this is, covering. now excuse me. Now, brothers and sisters, what is this referring to? This is the wilderness, right? This is when we had the cloud for covering to keep us out of the baking sun. And then we had fire at night. What was the fire for? And fire to give light in the night. What was it for, brother? To give light in the night. Fire in the Old Testament implied certain characteristics. And what was it here, brother? To give light in the night. See that? So fire represented light, brothers and sisters, right? Okay. Now you understand Hebrews 12 and 29. Now you can understand this. You first had to understand what it implies in the Old Testament, right? For you to understand this. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the 29th verse, right? The last verse in this chapter. Hebrews 12 and 29. For our God is a consuming fire. What is he? A consuming fire. Fire. The fire of God brings light to the darkness of our sins, brothers and sisters. It exposes what we did not know existed. See? That is the business of fire or light, to expose the things hidden in darkness. You see? This is the nature of fire. We read it, brothers and sisters. Fire represents many things in Scripture. It can illustrate purity, light. See, he said our God is a consuming fire. So it's not just light. It will burn up the chafe, brothers and sisters. Anything not fruitful will be burned. But we just wanted to show you that it's not possible to be in his presence if you're dealing with darkness. There's, it's, there's no way to be in his presence and not have your sin exposed. See? Even to this day, brothers and sisters, as you continue to grow, the Most High will show you every year, every couple of months, different sins that are, that's going on. And sometimes they're not sins that you're doing. Sometimes they're sins of omission. Sins of omission mean things you're not doing that are right. James tells us what? He that knoweth the right thing to do and yet not do it is a sin. So the Most High, each year, I don't care how long you've been in the truth, how much you read the Bible. Okay, the Most High will continuously show you things that are, you know, that he does not like. Okay, even with me, brothers and sisters. So here we see, disregard the nature of fire and you will suffer. 
disregard the laws of fire and you will incur grave consequences. He's a consuming fire. Let's go to Luke 1. Let's go to Luke 1. Because it's impossible to be in his presence and not have your sins exposed. So that's why people will stay away from God. Adam showed us this. What did Adam do? <laughs> what did Adam do? First thing you do when you sin is start trying to cover. Right? They started covering up their, you know, their genitalia and all that. And then they hid behind some trees. The first thing you try to do is escape. See? That's the symptom or the side effect of sin. Let's, let's read verse 78 and 79. Because we just read that what? The Most High is a consuming fire. And Psalms 105.39 said he gave a fire for light in the night, right? <clears throat> Luke 1 and 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. You see that, brothers and sisters? Read 78 one more time, brother, please. Through the tender mercy of our God, of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness, See, to give light to them that sit in darkness. Darkness is what? Darkness represents ignorance. It also represents what? Continue reading, brother. And in the shadow of death, the shadow of death. Now remember, we said that death means separation. So look at this. First it talks about day spring. <laughs> and then it talks about darkness. And then it talks about the shadow of death, right? So you're not dead, but you're in its shadow. You're spiritually dead. You're not physically dead. See? You're in the death that you can't touch. That's a shadow, brothers and sisters. Continue. To guide our feet into the way of peace. See? To be guided. In the way of peace, you need the light. Who is the light? The Most High is a consuming fire. It's impossible to be amongst Him and not have sins exposed, brothers and sisters. It's not possible. And that's why you couldn't go into the Most High's presence in the Old Testament. If you did, you would die. You would die. Right? Remember, He said, No man have seen the face of the Most High, yet He died. Yet He would die. That's why you had the curtain there that was torn, the veil that was torn. He also, told the, he also told the high priest that he could only go in at the Day of Atonement. He, can't just, he couldn't just walk in there whatever he desired. He would die. See? Because even the priest had sin. See? Let's go to John, brother, 8 and 12. Let's go there really quick. The title of today's lesson, The Last enemy. The last enemy. John 8 and 12. Then spake Christ again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. What did he say? I am the light of the world. In declaring himself to be the light of the world, he was claiming to be the exclusive source of spiritual light. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. What did he say, brother? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. But 
but shall have the light of life. The text teaches that if one recognizes Christ as the light of the world and follows him, he or she will always possess the light. Let's read that one more time. Verse 12. Then spake Christ again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The only way to be rescued from darkness and brought into the light is what we're seeing in verse 12. What did it say, brother? Then spake Christ again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Look at this next part. But shall have the light of life. Shall have the what? The light of life. Shall have the what, brother? The light of life. Now he's associating light with life. What is darkness then? You see that, brothers and sisters? He's telling you that light is life. Darkness must be death, spiritual death. See? So he's telling you, if you don't follow me, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead in your trespasses. And guess what? Satan is looking to keep us in a perpetual state of spiritual darkness, which is spiritual death. Because he can only rule over you in the area of your ignorance. Let's go to Matthew 27. Because remember, Christ said in John 8 and 12 that he was the light of the earth, right? And if you follow after him, you would never walk in darkness. Let's see. Let's see. We're going to go to Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46. Matthew 27 and 45. Now from the sixth hour... There was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now, this is Christ on the, on the cross, brothers and sisters. What did that say? Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. It was darkness from 12 to 3. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying... You could just read the English. That is, to, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying... My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, what did we say spiritual death was? Separation, right? So it was at this point that Christ spiritually died. Because why? We, we learned that there's more than one death. Christ had to experience all of them. Christ had to experience all of them. You see that? Can you read 45 again, brother? Remember, he said that what? I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, right? Now, what happens as he's getting ready to die? Can you read 45 again, brother, please? 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the night hour. Now, remember, he was the light. He was telling you the sun represents him, right? But now it's darkness. 46. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at that. Darkness, separation from God. You see that? So between these two texts, the, the author tells us that it was darkness. In verse 46, Christ shows you that there's a separation between him and God, showing you darkness is separation from God. See that? 
So either you walk in the light or you're in darkness, which means you're separated from God, which means you're dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the only time Christ called the Most High God. Everywhere else in the Bible, we called him Father. First time. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very first time that he ever felt what it was to be separate from the Most High. See? This is what Adam felt. See? So Adam and Eve knew immediately after they ate that fruit, something was different. Something was different about their conscience. Christ had never felt that until this time. Why? Because he had to die for your sins. That wasn't just die physically. That was die spiritually, brothers and sisters. Let us go. Let's let's show the prognosis, right? Let's go to Romans 5. This is the prognosis. Now we under now we start to understand a little bit better, right? Because Christians they just go straight to the end. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Well, yeah. But I mean we want to understand why. We want to understand how. They skip past all the other stuff and just say, well, just know he died. We don't do that at our church. We actually study the Bible. We actually learn the Bible. We, we care why certain words are used. We care about the authors, why it was written this way. What did it actually mean? See, this is what students of the Bible do, brothers and sisters. Christians just got us to, to believe, okay, Christ died for our sins. Yeah, that's good. But you don't really, it's kind of dismissive, brothers and sisters. We want to know, we want to, we want to know his greatness. We want to know exactly what he went through and why he went through it so he can get his glory. See, Christians don't give him his glory. They just tell you, yeah, he died. Well, duh, we know that. Why did he die? What did he go through? Why did he go through it? Was it, was it prophecy? Was it connected to anything in the Old Testament? Let's read Romans 5 and 12. Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And what? And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, brothers and sisters, according to the text, the power of death was in the hands of man. See? See? The principle of death was first introduced to an Adam's sin. How do we know? Could you read that again? Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the <clears throat> into the world, and death by sin. And what? Death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Our union with Adam brought us condemnation because of his disobedience. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, that Adam's sin is credited to us. When it says for it says that death passed upon all men for all have sinned. See, so Adam's sin is credited to to you and I. What's the next scripture saying, brother? Thirteen. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. One cannot break a law unless there's a law to be broken, brothers and sisters. See? So sin is not charged where there's no prohibition. That's what it's telling you. It says sin was in the world. So people were still doing the same things, but there was no law. 
So if there's no law, it can't be considered wrong, right? The establishment of law made us guilty by its transgression. You see that, brothers and sisters? So, for example, if there's no law not to eat pork, then it's not wrong. People are still doing it. And then when Leviticus 11 comes and it says, don't eat pork, now it becomes a sin. You understand, brothers and sisters? So you're saying it wasn't imputed, right? So you're not breaking the law unless there's actually a law there, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Wisdom of Solomon, because the first thing God gave man was a law. Simultaneously giving him what? The power to break it. Let's see. Wisdom of Solomon 1 and 12. Let's go to the Apocrypha. We'll have Brother Corey read 12 through 16. We'll go ahead and finish out this chapter. Wisdom of Solomon 1 verse 12. Seek not death in the error of your life, and pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. According to the author, we receive the penalty of our own immoral decisions. Could you read that one more time, Brother? 12. Seek not death in the error of your life. Seek not death in the error of your life. And pull not upon yourselves destruction with the work of your hands. And pull not what, brother? Pull not upon yourselves destruction with the works of your hands. Rebelliousness will always be met with the natural consequences of sin. Remember, we, we already discussed that if you break a law, it creates a new law, right? Can you read verse 13? 13. For God made not death, neither hath he pleasure in the destruction of the living. The author takes pain to set a clear line of demarcation between God's creation and death. Can you read that again, brother? 13. For God made not death, neither hath he pleasure in the destruction of the living. See, sin brought death into the world as a consequence, right? 14. For he created all things, that they might have their being, and the generations of the world were healthful, and there is no poison of destruction in them, nor the kingdom of death upon the earth. For righteousness is immortal, but ungodly men with their works and words called it to them. For when they thought to have it their friend, they consumed to naught and made a covenant with it. Because they are worthy of the, they are worthy to take part with it. Death was made without the ability to kill, though it existed. It had no power to harm without sin, brothers and sisters. See, if you disobey Adam, you give death the power to kill you. See, we always say, don't ever make a decision more important than the consequences, brothers and sisters. Why? Because the decision, it takes five seconds to make. The consequences you live with for a lifetime. You don't live with the decision. You live with the consequences. Look at verse 16. 16. But ungodly men, with their works and words, called it to them. Ungodly men called death to them. For when they thought to have it their friend, they consumed to nothing and made a covenant with it. They made a covenant with death. Because they are worthy to take part with it. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He said, I didn't create death. Death was not death. Death had no power to kill. You created it. 
Why? Because when you break a law, it creates a new law. See that? Jump to verse, excuse me, jump to James 1 and 14. Because he said, men call this to themselves. Right? Pull not destruction on you with your own hands. With the error of your life. Right? James 1 and 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Drawn away of what? His own lust and enticed. We're lured away from God by our own desires. Brothers and sisters, the source of all temptation is found in the man himself. How do we know? Could you read that again? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust mm. and enticed. And enticed. The source of the solicitation of sin has its residence in the heart of man. Brothers and sisters, he's drawn away of his own lust. So what may tempt me may not tempt another brother. What may tempt another brother may not tempt me. So guess what, brothers and sisters? Temptation is always curtailed. It's always tailored to you. Okay? What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. What does it bring forth? Sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Lust has a child named sin. And when sin grows to full age, it has a baby named death. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, sin grows up and produces death. But remember, the solicitation to sin comes from within. Let's read those two again. Verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We... We did what? We first started by showing you what death is, right? And now we're showing you how death works. See, this is one of the boldest, most dramatic metaphors in the entire manuscript, brothers and sisters. Sin is the result of surrendering our will to the solicitation of lust. That's crystal clear. James, the author, is breaking this down here. Now we learn... About how it works. Okay. Let's go to Galatians 5. And 16. The title of today's lesson. The last enemy. We read in Hebrews 2. That people. Are in bondage. Why? Because they fear death. That's why the most high. Put the spirit on us. To break this down. For our brothers and sisters. Not to be scared to die. Because as long as you're scared to die, you become a slave to Satan. You become a slave where you do all this stuff because you don't want to die. Right? What's verse 16 say, brother? Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking does what? It indicates a progression or an advancement. Brothers and sisters, so the text tells us that if we stop progressing, we're going to be overcome once again. How do we know? Could you read that again, brother? 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Why? And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do we not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Walk in the spirit. The only way to not fulfill the lust of the flesh is to walk in the spirit. So continual growth is the only way 
to overcome our strong appetites. See, Paul is letting us know that our sinful nature can be controlled if we walk in the spirit. It's the only way. So our choice to surrender to God's will unleashes the spirit's power in our lives. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The only way to defeat the flesh is to walk in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, Paul's breaking this down here. See, this is why this is the importance of Paul's writings, because Paul, he dealt with the, the war within. He dealt with the inner battle and how to overcome. Right. So most of the Old Testament is telling you the do's and don'ts. Paul is telling you how to keep these do's and don'ts. Walk in the spirit. How do you do that? You must have the spirit first. See, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can keep this law. If you don't, you will fall. You will fall. Let's go to Romans 5 and 17, brothers and sisters. Romans, the fifth chapter, the 17th through the 19th verse. <clears throat> Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, these scriptures that we're getting ready to read, 17 through 19, are contrasting what? The first Adam and the last Adam. The last Adam is who? Christ. So it shows you what came into the earth by Adam, the first man, and what came into the earth through Christ, the Messiah. We're going to read 17 through 19 one more time. Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one... Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Christ. The author highlights the, the impact of one act of disobedience versus the impact of one act of obedience. He said if one man's offense, death can come, then by one man's offense, grace can come. See? Verse 18. Therefore... As by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Brothers and sisters, Paul wants to stress that it was Adam's act, not our independent acts, that brings condemnation. It's not what you've done, because you were condemned before you did anything, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time? Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. See, and that's why the law won't work. The law can keep you clean going forward, but what about the past? See that? That's why the law won't work. That's why you can't be justified by the law. Because the law will work going forward. But what about the past? What, what are we supposed to do with all that? All that dirt you did. What, did we, what does the law do for that? See, this is what he was trying to point out here, brothers and sisters. You're condemned through Adam well before you did anything. Well before you ate your first pork chop sandwich. 
So you not eating pork going forward doesn't help. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The effects of God's grace and the gift of righteousness surpass the results of Adam's sin. Brothers and sisters, the negative effects of Adam's sin are here mainly to help us see the positive effects of Christ's righteousness. See, these three scriptures are contrast what Adam did and what Christ did, right? So verse 17, you had death that came from Adam. You had life coming from Christ. In verse 18, we saw that all men were condemned. All men are justified through Christ, though, right? And then in verse 19, we see that there were many sinners, right, through one man. According to the text, there's also many righteous through one man. See? So you can't say, you can't say in one breath that, yeah, we're doomed because of Adam. All men are doomed, but then say one man can't save us all. You can't do that. Because if one man could condemn us all, one man can save us all. A perfect man. Right? Let's go to Psalms 49 and 7 here. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. Because now you're understanding death. You understand the history of it now. Psalms 49 and 7. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. None, none, brothers and sisters. Could redeem. What does redeem mean? When you look at redeem in the Hebrew, <clears throat> redeem means to buy back, right? When you redeem something, it's just like when you go buy something at the store, brothers and sisters. Redeem means to buy back. So he tells us that none of us are clean enough to buy to to redeem. Can you read that again, brother? Verse seven. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Why? Because we're all sinners. <laughs> you see, brothers and sisters? For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. The redemption is precious. So none of us, I can't save a brother, you can't save a brother. That's your children, that's your wife, your husband. Because why? You're not clean. You're unclean, all of us. Right? Look at verse, excuse me, look at Hosea 13 and 14. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He, he already says that no man, none of us, right, can redeem his brother or buy him back, right? So who can? Hosea 13 and 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Look at this, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Remember, he said that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Here's the prophecy of it, right? This is the prophecy of death being put under underfoot, right? Can you read that again, brother? Hosea 13 and 14. I will raise, I will ransom from them the power of the grave. I will ransom. What's a ransom, brothers and sisters? That's an exchange, right? 
I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. I will buy them back from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Let's go to Romans 6 and 23, brothers and sisters. Let's go here. Romans, the 6th chapter, the 23rd verse. Why? Because it's telling you the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. What does that mean? Redeem them from death? Let's find out. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. Ah, there it is. See? I will redeem them from death, he said. What did 23 say, brother? For the wages of sin is death. Brothers and sisters, the wages refers to a payment. See? When a person works, the person receives a wage or payment for the work. See? So according to the text, the work of sinfulness earns a paycheck of death. Right? Can you read that again, brother? For the wages of sin is death. Is what? Death. The ultimate penalty earned by one's sins is death. First is spiritual death. Afterwards is physical death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Look at that. <laughs> See? We've seen, brothers and sisters, that death includes two dimensions. Physical and spiritual. The Messiah experienced two deaths on the cross. Physical and spiritual. Both his body and his soul experienced deaths. See, so dying was not only mandatory, but necessary. Why? Because God cannot lie. Now you understand, brothers and sisters. Remember Hosea 13 and 14 said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. So what is this ransom? The ransom is Romans 6 and 23 for the wages of sin is death. See, so there was a wage that needed to be paid, right? Somebody exchanged. There was an exchange, brothers and sisters, that went down, right? And we saw in Romans 6.23 that as we study throughout the Bible, this whole lesson, there's more than one death. Let the dead bury the dead, Christ said. There's a physical death. There's a spiritual death. Adam had to experience both. Christ had to experience both. Why? Because in that very day, Adam, in that very day you shall die, one day is like a thousand years in the eyes of the Most High. See, so Christ had to experience both. See, this is actually why we went into this. So Christ can get his full due. See, so he can get his full respect. Let's go to Mark 15 and 34. Brothers and sisters. Mark 15 and 34. And at the ninth hour, Christ cried with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was that spiritual death came first. See? We already discovered that spiritual death is a state of being alienated from God. A sense of distance from God. This is the only time in the whole manuscript where he referred to the Most High as God, which highlighted the distance. All throughout the, his 33 years, he was teaching us how to be sons. 
He was teaching us how to look at the Most High as a father. See, not as God, but as a father. You see that, brothers and sisters? But here, that distance, that spiritual death, now he's saying, he's forsaken me. What does that mean? That means he's dead right now. Christ is dead spiritually right now. See? Let's go to Matthew 27 and 50. Let's go here. Let's go to Matthew. 27. We'll read 50 through 53. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Matthew 27 and 50. Christ, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The gospel writers tell us that directly after the death of the Messiah, the veil of the temple was torn in two. But don't, don't miss this part. How was it torn? And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. Now, brothers and sisters, this was over 50 feet. So the top, this, the roof was, this was a, over a 50 foot curtain here, brothers and sisters. And it says it was torn from the top to the bottom. Why is it saying that? Because if it was torn any other way, then you can say man tore this. See? It's over 50 feet air in the air. If you tear it from the bottom, you could tear it up. But he's saying it was torn from top to bottom. From top to bottom, letting you know that was God. See, letting you know that wasn't man. That wasn't man. There is no 50 foot man. So you don't miss that part. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 51. And behold. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Now, remember, brothers and sisters, the veil did what? The veil prohibited direct accessibility to the Most High. That's why the veil was there, right? So, subsequent to the tearing of the veil, it could no longer perform the function for which it was intended, right? So, what happens next? Verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Look at that. Christians never told us this. Many people came back from the dead that very day, brothers and sisters. The graves were open, and you had brothers coming out of the grave going back to their family. Telling him, he got the keys. He's got the keys. The Messiah, the one that was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Tanakh. He's done it. He shed his blood on the heavenly tabernacles. See? So this was a sign here, brothers and sisters, when your father died last year and he come knock on the door in Jerusalem. See? See that, brothers and sisters? So there's a lot... In that, in these few scriptures, number one, notice that the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, right? Indicating that it was torn from the top or by God himself, right? Why was it there? It was there, if you know about the Old Testament, it was there to keep you from going into the holy of holies or the most holy, where you would die, right? 
So that was torn. Now you have access to the Father. Through who? Through His Son. What happens? Now that He beat death, remember death, the last enemy. <laughs> he defeated death for Himself. And what happens? Read verse 52, brother, please. 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now, brothers and sisters, death will be defeated finally when Christ comes back. We're going to show you. Let's go to Hebrews 2 and 14. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. Hebrews, the second chapter, the 14th and the 15th verse. Hebrews 2 and 14. For as much then as the children of, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil. That is who? The devil. And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The author tells us that men are subject to slavery all their lives because of the fear of death. The author also informs us that the one who has the power of death is the devil. Let's read 14 one more time. 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Look at that, brothers and sisters. It was a man who sinned, so it would have to be a man that died to fulfill justice. That's why I'm saying, for as much uh, the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he had to also. Why? <laughs> because he told man that he would die. So man had to die. Right? If he could get rid of sin, he could get rid of the power death possessed. See? So this is what he understood, brothers and sisters. In order to defeat death, he would have to defeat sin. Let's see. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. Let's take a look here. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. In order to defeat death, he would need to defeat sin. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. What is it? Sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The author represents death as a, a venomous creature, a, a, a hornet, which is rendered harmless. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's read uh, 55 one more time. Verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? Where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? What's the next scripture saying, brother? The sting of death is sin. It's what? It's sin. Sin brought death into the world as a consequence. See? And the strength of the sin is the law. So it's clear that death gains the ability to harm me, harm us, through sin. Also, it tells us that what? Death was made without a sting, brothers and sisters. So though it existed, it had no power to harm without sin. Paul is breaking that down right now. Let's read that one more time. 
Verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Now, remember, grave, where is thy victory? The grave can't hold you now. See, this was it. Christ, through death, took the power of death. It says, grave, where is thy victory? Brothers and sisters, death or the grave tries to hold you down, brothers and sisters. But since Christ rose, death or the grave can no longer hold you back. Can no longer hold you back, right? How do we know? Read verse 56, brother, please. 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is law. The strength of what, brother? The strength of sin is the law. Sin gets its power from what? Breaking the law, right? So if you, he said, if you disobey me, Adam, you give death the power to kill you. But look, look at verse 57. 57. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Christ. See, so the victory came through Christ. See that, brothers and sisters? We've already won. We've already won. Let's go to John 5. The last enemy, brothers and sisters. The last enemy. Let's go to John 5 and 24. John 5 and 24. Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. But it's passed from death unto life. Look at this, brothers and sisters. In this particular text, your your spiritual health is directly associated with how you listen or who you listen to and how you respond. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 24. Verily I say unto you. What's that? He that heareth my word. If you hear his word. And believe on him that sent me. And respond. Hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's spiritual death, right? So a lack of sensitivity towards his voice, devoid of a prompt response, highlights your spiritual depravity. You see that, brothers and sisters? Because he said, pass from death unto life, spiritually. See? He that hear my word and believe. What's 25 say, brother? 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you. The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. When the dead shall do what? Hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. According to the author, your spiritual resuscitation is directly linked to your ability to recognize and respond to his voice. You see that? The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. See that, brothers and sisters? You see that? Let's go to John 11. A few chapters. John 11 and 39. Because this is the spiritual death. This is what he's concerned with. Brothers and sisters. We're going to read 39 through 44. Listen to this closely. John 11 and 39. Christ said, Take ye away the stone. Martha the sister of him that was dead said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. For he hath been dead four days. Who's been dead four days? Lazarus. Now remember, John 5 and 24 said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Who that heareth my word and believeth 
have everlasting life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Let's see that in action, right? That was John 5, and now John 11 tells you that, what does John eleven thirty nine say, brother? Christ said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Christ said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. So he's saying, listen, I could have did this after the first day. I could have made sure you didn't die at all, but I need you to see the glory of God, right? For you to believe. I need you to see this. 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Christ lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, brothers and sisters, look at how self-aware he is. Look at how aware he is. <laughs> he said, listen, because I know people are watching. Because I know how they perceive is considered reality. Look at this, brothers and sisters. See? He could see outside himself. He could step outside of himself and see it from someone else's perspective. We got a lesson coming on that, brothers and sisters. Can you read that one more time? Verse 42. And I knew that thou hearest me always. I know you always heard me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it. I, I said it aloud for them, not for me. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he said thus, and when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. What did he say? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Bound, still bound. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Christ said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now remember... Remember John 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So this was spiritual, brothers and sisters. He used something physical to show something spiritual. Now, people may say, well, no, this was a parable. Brothers and sisters, if you've ever studied parables, you know this wasn't one. Why? Because parables, he never used people's name. He never used a person's name. He always say a farmer or a servant. He never used name. He never said, it's just like when um, the, the, the rich man went to hell, right? And he saw Abraham, right? He actually said Abraham's name. That lets you know that's not a parable. Go read his parables again, brothers and sisters. If you study his parables, he never used names because it wasn't real, right? It was a teaching moment. This was real. He used Martha's name. He used Lazarus' name. See, this was real. He was showing you something. He was showing you something physical that meant something spiritual. If you hear my voice, if you respond to my voice, Lazarus, I'm going to bring you back from the dead. Spiritual death. I can bring you back from the dead. You have to respond to my voice. Let's go to John Let's, excuse me, let's go to John 12 and 25. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. We're going to read the 25th verse 
through the 30th verse, right? John 12 and 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in the world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Mm. Now if my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. He's calling him Father again. See? Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, say, There came a voice. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Mm. Verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it. And what? And heard it. And what? And heard it. Said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. And Christ answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now, brothers and sisters, what is this showing us? This is showing us that sometimes we want to act like we don't hear God's voice, but we hear it clearly. But because it's not something I agree with, I act like I didn't hear it. You see that? Let's look at their response again, brothers and sisters. Read 27, uh, 28, brother, please. Verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, Then a voice came from heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Validating everything that Christ said. Validating everything that his disciples said. Verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it. They did hear it. Said that it thundered, and others said, an angel spake to him. And Christ answered and said, What did he say? This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Look at this. He said the voice came for you. It didn't come for me. I knew what was real. You see that? This was an audible voice, brothers and sisters. But it goes to show you that people hear what they want to hear. See? So a lot of times, what God is saying is clear to, to you. To us, but we don't like the information that's being, you know, that's being broadcasted, and therefore, in consideration of that reality, I act like I didn't hear it. We're showing you this was clear. This was an audible voice, <laughs> and people try to act like they didn't understand what was going on. Oh, that was thunder. That was this. That was that. Nah, brother. Nah, you just don't want to believe. You don't want to believe. Why? Because you're going to have to give something up. You're going to have to walk away. You're going to have to walk away. Let's go to Revelations 2 and 11 and then Revelations 20 and we'll close it out. Let's go to Revelations, the second chapter, the 11th verse, brothers and sisters. Revelation 2 Verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear, right. And he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death. You see that, brothers and sisters? We just used this whole lesson to show you there's more than one death. You had spiritual death, you had physical death, and then you have the final death, right? 
which is when you're cast into the lake of fire. That's the final death, brothers and sisters. See? Let us show. Let's go to Revelations 20 and 12. Revelations 20 and 12. Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. According to what? Their works. According to what? Their works. What is this, Christians? Where brothers are being judged according to their works. What is this? Huh? Continue. 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the second death, brothers and sisters. What was the second death? Can you read verse 14, brother? And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death of the final death, right? 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see that? So now you can understand death. Now you can understand death. You have the first death. You had spiritual death. You had the first death. And you had the final or the second death, brothers and sisters. So it would behoove us, brothers and sisters, to, to study the Bible, right? Because this is an enemy. This is an enemy. Read 14 again, brother, because remember, the last enemy to be conquered is this one. Can you read 14? When was it conquered? When will it be conquered? Here. Revelation 20 and 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. See that? See, brothers and sisters, this is when it's defeated, finally. The final defeat here, right? This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Will be cast into that fire also, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson was The Last Enemy. And what we did was, according to the Bible, we discovered that death is a perplexing mystery. Death is not just physical death into the, you know, going into the ground. It's much more, brothers and sisters. We wanted to get some biblical understanding. As the Bible tells you, Proverbs 4 and 7, wisdom is the principal thing, right? So I think today we were able to, we were able to, to raise our biblical acumen, brothers and sisters, to be able to understand certain verbiage, understand certain wording. Also to, to not just Read the Bible, skim through the Bible. When you skim through the Bible carelessly, you miss the beauty that's there. This is the greatest piece of literature ever compiled, brothers and sisters. There's a wealth of knowledge. There's a wealth of intellectual knowledge for those who like that, brothers and sisters. Right? I encourage our brothers and sisters to take this book seriously. Okay? Christians, the only thing they do is preach. They don't teach. According to the Bible, preaching is what you do to non-believers. Teaching, right, is what you do to people who believe. Christ never preached to his disciples. He taught his disciples. See, this was a teaching 
lesson, brothers and sisters, from a more a scholastic level. We encourage our brothers and sisters to view the Bible from a scholastic level. Right? Something that you want to learn and apply, brothers and sisters. Here we learned about death. We learned about what Christ experienced for us, brothers and sisters. We're not going to allow you to shortchange Christ and what he did for us, brothers and sisters. So we encourage you to go back on to this lesson. Listen to it as many times as you need and give God the glory. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.